This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Well, one of the cool things we've been doing on Fridays recently is uh, what we've been calling our Seahawks alumni series unofficially, which means Dave Wyman going into his Rolodex and reaching out to his old teammates, his old buddies and pals and bringing them on and having conversations about the good old days. And a lot of these guys I was such a fan of as a kid, and that includes the guy who's with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Loved this guy and uh, a real pleasure to speak with him. The one, the only Boz. Brian Bosworth is with us. How are you, man? I'm doing well, guys. Bob, number nine two. How are you guys up there in the Northwest? We're doing good, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on with us. Um, for you, always, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian, I feel like I know you because I always I pepper Dave with questions about his his playing days and his teammates, and he's he's had so many great stories about the two of you and the you know living you know houses backyards butted up against each other and all this, but. I got. I, got to, I don't know if Dave told you the story, but we were talking about your commercials and how much we love them and your acting. And then we got into some movie of yours that that Dave had seen, and he was convinced of the storyline. And it, it sounded like this great storyline. It, it, it was you, and you had a twin brother that you didn't know you had, and then, <laughs> then you ran into this twin brother. And when you ran into him, he was English. He was from Britain. And we're going, wow, that's a crazy storyline. And we're digging through your profile, trying, your IMDb page, trying to figure out what movie it was. And Dave actually bought a movie thinking it was it. And it turns out that plot line doesn't exist in any of your movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got some, you know, some memory issues, but you know, I, I pretty much remember the good, the bad, and the ugly of what I've been in and acting. I don't recall that one. I thought he was going for... Uh, the Schwarzenegger, uh, Danny DeVito film. <laughs> uh, Twins. Well, Brian, we that's... We kidded around a lot back in the day that Dave and I would have been a great comedy team because we were just slapsticking our way, you yeah. know, through practices, you know, back in the, in the, in the, in the eighties. Yeah. You know, what's funny, Boz, I, I ran into, uh, Kelly Stoffer. Uh, the other day, and uh, he he told I go yeah. Can you believe I'm doing radio? I mean, I this is like the last thing I thought I would be doing. He goes, no, I think you know I used to listen to you and Bosworth all the time. You guys were really funny, and you know you you made all these comments, and yeah, it was uh, we had fun with it, right? I remember I remember one time Tom Catlin, our our coach, got mad at at me because I was laughing and whenever I would laugh he would always look at Boz like okay what did you say to make him laugh so well yeah. Tomcat didn't have the best sense of humor no. by any stretch of the imagination you know it was all business with him and you know of course uh, of course with uh, you know our head coach he, he notch had zero sense of humor I mean, he threw out some one-liners that some people would, you know, snicker at because it was like, you know, that's poetic. But, you know, he was not a comedian. I mean, it just, we needed levity. Yeah. There was so much pressure. And if you can't, if you can't have levity amongst the, you know, the pressure that, you know, is, is NFL football, um, then it just really becomes, you know, a chore. You know, you don't have any fun with it. Yeah. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you were there because you know we were both fish out of water, and 
you know, we're, we're trying to figure out how we fit in. And, you know, you, you come from college and you're super confident in college and you get to the pro and, you know, and then all of a sudden you, you, you hit the reset button and you start all over again. You're, you're questioning, you know, do I belong here? Am I worthy? Can I do this thing? You know, and God forbid, you just, you just want to, you want to do the right thing. You want to study, you want to, you want to be healthy and, you know, and, 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 hopefully you know have you know consistent you know performances when you go out there but you know NFL is it's hard man it's hard yeah well I'll tell you what your rookie year though Brian you had a good rookie year I sent you uh, something the other day that was uh it was a little quote um in the stat book or something so Tariq Woolen the kid uh, that they have playing corner just been an amazing player but he was rookie of the week and the last time that they'd had a rookie of the week winner it was you and it was against Chicago and uh I remember that game yeah you you had a good game I thought Walter Payton's last game is that right oh wow yeah it was his last game yeah I remember getting that I remember pulling that uh, uh, ball out of Neil Ar- uh, Neil Anderson. Is that his name? Neil Armstrong? Whatever his name was. Yeah. Um, the, the tailback. They were doing like a, a duel, you know, between him and, and Walter. Um, and I remember pulling it out and laying on the ground. And I was like, I got the ball! I got the ball! And Joe Nash is over there going, get your ass up and run, dude! <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was all chaos. But you know what? That was... That first year, I mean, if you remember, it was so chaotic yeah. because we came in. I came in super late. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think I, I think I had, I think we had one preseason game left. We went to we went to St. Louis, played the Cardinals. I think I'd been in camp maybe one or two days. Right. They told me, "Oh, you're not going to play." They throw me into the third quarter. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> uh, I remember um, one of our guys. Blew his Achilles heel, uh, turned him out um, in warm up because the field was so crappy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he hit one of those seams. And, uh, and then I don't remember the last uh, preseason. I think it might have been San Francisco, whoever it was. Um, and we played two games, and boom, you go on strike. So it was so discombobulated. Yeah. And then you come back, um, and we played kind of a shortened season. And I think we got into the playoffs as a wild card at, I don't know, we were even, like an 8-8 eight and eight team or whatever our record was. Right. Uh, but that was the only year that I played um, healthy. Yeah. And then uh, after that, it was like, uh, I, don't, I don't even know, I didn't even recognize myself when I watched myself on film. And the second year and the third year was non-existent, but... That's you know that's the thing you know they weren't they weren't kidding when the the acronym for NFL not for long you know exists I mean that's for real yeah hey yeah. Brian do you ever wonder what it would be like if social media and everything that exists today was happening back when you played because I was telling Dave you had such a massive impact you had such a huge persona and I mean you know despite the lack of social media and the lack of outlets and things like that everybody knew you and you were genius in capitalizing on it we were talking about the shirts you made with the you know boz and the circle with the red line through it and you had all the haters buying it and putting money in your pocket and which is <laughs> which is brilliant uh, but do you, do you ever think about man if social media and all these outlets ESPN and everything that exists today were, were happening then? We're in the downfall of human civilization is that social 
social media, I, I would have, I don't know, I just, I hate it. Absolutely despise it. You know, and let's, let me let the record be known. I had nothing to do with those shirts being sold in Denver. I didn't find out about it until after the game was over. And some reporter brings up the shirt. We got our butt kicked. I mean, I don't know, it was 40 to something. Uh, that was the opening game of, uh, of the uh, second year. And, um, yeah, they, uh, they brought it to my attention and they go, Hey, this is your, this is your business, you know, name or whatever. And I'm going, that seems odd. Call my agent. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had this brilliant idea. I thought I would just capitalize on you going to Denver since you made that comment about John Elway. And, <laughs> you know, I just figured, you know, we'd, you know, we cash in a little bit, you know, and I go, dude, you gotta, you gotta let me know about this stuff before you go off on, <laughs> you know, on a tangent and start making stuff, you know, and then I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, you know, put out the fires in the locker room because, you know, back in those days, half of the, probably more than, probably 70% of the guys, they did not like me. Mm. You know, only the guys on defense, you know, nobody on offense, Mudbone, you know, yeah, he did, but, you know, we didn't talk much to the offensive guys. Yeah. You know, and, and we're rookies. We're just trying to figure it out. And that second year, we're just coming out of, you know, our first, um, you know, our first year there, and still trying to figure it out. But you know, back in those days, the, the seniority was the seniority. You got to earn the right, you know, to speak. You know, to be in line. You know, so I mean, I get. I'm, I'm sure it's slightly different now, but you know, you had to walk. You know, a very you know, just, just very fragile line so that you didn't hurt the feelings of the veterans in there. That's what it felt like to me, you know, with some of the guys just like, man, I, I'm afraid to talk. Yeah. I just want to sit down and, you know, and, and do what I'm supposed to do. And if you're two minutes early, you're, you're five minutes late, you know, that type of thing with, with Knox. It's like, you're getting fine here. You're getting fine there. Where's all this fine money going? Who's getting it? Yeah. Uh, it was just, you know, just chaos. You're, you're trying to figure out how the league and your job works when we, when we first got there. Yeah. Well, we had some fun. One of the things I was just, uh, you know, just telling Bob about was, so I, I was engaged and then we broke up and I called you. This is after our rookie year. And I called you mm-hmm. and I was living at, uh, near Stanford and you were down in this beautiful like condo on the beach and everything and so you said why don't you just put your dog in the car and drive down here and come stay with us so and i I was telling these guys the story about when we would go shopping and you know like everybody what i loved brian was that everybody was looking at you and nobody was looking at me and (laughs) that was perfect for me I, I I had a great time with that. I remember another story. We we dined and ditched Paul Moyer one time. Yeah. We we had a nice expensive dinner, and then uh, you and I left. Um, left him with the the bill. But uh, yeah, it was uh, that was uh, we had a good friendship, man. That was really nice of you to do that for me. And I just remember. I always when I look in my past, I I just remember the good times mostly, and we had some good we had some good times, man. We did. Um, I mean, the the crew that came in, um, and again, because we're juggling all the the new stuff and, you know, the strike and then how, what does that mean? I remember sitting, you know, I think we were two or maybe 
one or two weeks into the strike, and all of a sudden, the 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 players were coming in. Uh, what they call them, the scab players were coming in, right. and then some other teams were letting you know some of their regular guys, you know, like skill position guys, like a wide receiver or a running back or a tight end on offense or a DB or safety or linebacker rush guy on the defense would come in and, you know, and it was swinging because those games, if you remember, those games were counting, you know, and, Mm. you know, I was competitive. I'd I'd never really, you know, experienced a whole lot of losses at Oklahoma. And, you know, we wanted to be successful. So I stupidly stood up in one of those meetings and said, hey, man, I'll cross the picket line. And everybody was, like, screaming at me. Derek Brookie, sit down. You got your money. You ain't going nowhere. Whatever. Next thing I know, I'm on an MTV boat with, with uh, I don't the whatever her name was, Bobby Brown, whatever her name was. Uh, it just seemed like such a discombobulated, um, you know, time of our lives. But when we when we did finally come back together, there was Roland. It was it was you. We had Rufus. You know, just we had Tony Woods, you know, all those guys that, you know, we we were just hungry because we were young and we wanted to fit in and we wanted to be accepted, you know, not necessarily acknowledged, but, you know, accepted. And more than anything, we wanted to make the city proud and we wanted to make the coaches proud. And we were just trying to figure out how does this work? <laughs> I, I don't get it. You know, I mean, it's, it's a job, but. You're supposed to have fun, and I'd never had a, been a player sitting in the locker room chain smoking, and yet you got Greg Gaines sneaking in the back, and he's smoking faster than my grandfather. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going, is this reality? Yeah. This, this can't be the way this thing is. Uh, but it's just the difference between college and pros is college, you, you know, there's camaraderie, camaraderie that, and everybody loves each other. You go out, you, you hang with each other. You get to the pros, practice is over, everybody goes home. Game is over, everybody's going home. You know, the only time they want to get together is when the rookies have to be forced to pay for, you know, a brunch. You know, if you remember that those that moment, it's like, hey, you're paying. And everybody on the team shows up, and they order everything on the menu. They eat nothing, and then they leave. And you're going, wait, this is a $4,000 bill, and nobody's eating anything. You know, pack it all up. It's all coming home with me. <laughs> so, Brian, you know, in talking to Dave, he, you know, he's he's got a lot of stories about his playing days, and you can just tell how much he loved it and, and reflects on it with, with a lot of joy. Do you feel the same way now that you look back? Obviously, not everything is perfect, and you talked about, you know, just wanting to be a guy that fit in and be accepted, but when you look at it now, years removed, do you, do you look on that, on your career fondly? Like, Hey, that was a good time. I had fun. Or is it not as much for you? No, it's haunting for me. It's haunting for me because I, I, I didn't do what I wanted to do. Um, I wasn't patient. I didn't know how to handle it. Um, I felt like I went into that second year knowing, I mean, I knew in the off season of that first year, something was wrong. And yet I just listened to them, even though I had a, a doctor down in LA going, you kind of need surgery. I think you need to do some surgery and just kind of figure that out and get that thing well. And the guys up there, but no, 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 come on up. We'll figure it out. And that was at uh, mini camp. And, 
you know, I'd, I'd never been injured before, you know, not to, not to that degree. And, you know, suddenly they shoot you in the shoulder and the pain goes away and you go, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, I told them, totally good. I don't need surgery. Not knowing what the repercussions of constantly shooting yourself and playing that whole second year with basically a numb shoulder, I felt like I was playing at 50% capacity, um, letting not only myself down, but letting the teammates down. Um, you know, I had a high bar that I wanted to live up to. I did, you know, the fans, you know, you know, the fact that I came in, the way I came in, and, you know, all the hype and all the other stuff, and I get it. Um, but to me, I just wanted to make – um, you know, myself proud, my father proud, you know, my teammates proud, the city proud, and I fail on all those uh, measures, and it still haunts me today. You know, there's nothing that uh, we can do about the things that we're passionate about, and, and if we're born to do something and you put so much time and energy and effort, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, and it's just all important for you, and you come up short, you're always going to feel like, um, I'm not going to say a failure because you got there, but um, less than uh, your accomplishments and you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't meet the bar that you set for yourself. So, yeah, I mean, I, I envy those guys. I envy Dave because Dave had a great career there. He went on and played, you know, many, many years at Seattle. He went on to Denver and played many years in Denver. He had a long sustained, you know, uh, career. And, you know, I know it's really hard to do that. Statistics, you know, tell you that you're not going to be in the league for long. It's, I think it's 3.2 years is your average career expectancy. And that's exactly how long I played, 3.2 years. Hmm. Um, if I was smart and I'd listened to my body, you know, I would have just said, you know what, guys, you know, I, I know, you know, the first year we you know, had some success. Not all the success we, we wanted to have, but we did have some success. We got to the playoffs, but we almost beat Houston. Um, but I ain't right, and I need to get right. You know, if, if I'm going to be here for 10 years, I want to be a producer for 10 years. And I just wasn't a patient kid. I, I just felt the pressure of, of um, I guess being a gambler, and sometimes if you're a gambler, you you don't win. Mm. Hey Brian, uh, tell us uh, about one of the things that uh, that I really enjoy are the the Dr Pepper commercials, man. I mean, I know it's just a commercial, but still, it's I, I think it brings out because you're you're a funny guy, and you know I think that was uh, I think both of us were were smart asses, and that's why Top Cat didn't enjoy that that part of us, but. Uh, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, tell us uh, how that came about, and and you know where, uh, how how you film it, uh, you know the the whole thing. How how was that uh, come into uh, into play with you in your life? Well, I mean, it, uh, first of all, I was a class clown when I was a kid. I mean, I was constantly you know in elementary school, yeah. and they don't do this anymore. They should um, because that's what's wrong with our our young young people. Uh, I was sent to the principal's office multiple times a day because I was cutting up in class. Uh, so I got licks all the time. I even broke the principal's paddle and he, you know, I figured, all right, well, those things are over and come back the next day, go to the principal's office. You got a brand new paddle with holes in it, hurt a lot more. But, 
I just learned that, you know, there's a, uh, I don't know why I felt like I had to be the center of attention and constantly entertaining people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I learned how to curb that because that's not always good to do that in serious situations. But levity um, was a stress reliever for me. And I don't think when the Dr. Pepper commercial came on, um, they had any idea that, you know, oh, well, I guess he can play, you know, the, you know, the strong man. Um, and, and they don't have any, you know, they don't have any, uh, you know, funny lines. When they script the stuff and they send it to me, and it's not like, uh, you know, TV show or uh, a movie where there's an actual script. It's with a Dr. Pepper commercial, it's more like suggestions. And the director uh, is, he's very footloose and fancy free. So I, I, I memorize the lines, but I know going in, it's like, all right, he's, he's, he's going to say, all right, say the line. Okay. Say this, I right, say that, say, you know, so it's just, it's just a chaotic, you know, event because he is, you know, he's, he's, he's got this, this genius, you know, thought process of putting the, the commercials together. And I suddenly realized that there's little moments in there and it's not really with words so much. It's just more with expression or facial, you know, type, you know, tics or, mm-hmm. you know, just, uh, reactions and, you know, and he gives us that leeway where, you know, sometimes he, he'd come to me and say, Hey, no, 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 I need you to play a little stronger here. Or, you know, I need you to, you know, uh, you know, not be, um, so animated or whatever. So, you know, I, I take it back a little bit and then, you know, when he's not looking at the, you know, the camera's not focused on me, I'll throw in a little bit of something, something. But the commercials themselves, I love it because Dr. Pepper has such a unique um, connection with college football. Mm-hmm. And college football has changed so dramatically over the last four to five years, especially these last two or three years, but the NIL kind of thing comes in. Dr. Pepper's not afraid in, in this, this campaign that they put together. They're not afraid to tackle these controversial issues. And I, I applaud them for that because I think the audience is smart enough and they want, they want to be challenged a little bit about where uh, college football is today and accept it with, as opposed to feeling like, you know, it's the players and the teams that, that kind of rule the roost and it's never going to change. Um, and it, and, and circumstances, in, in most circumstances, it really doesn't. It's always the SEC kind of dominates and every now and then the ACC with Clemson comes in, Ohio State goes in. You know, and that's kind of the way it's been if you look at the, you know, the BCS championship and, you know, the way that the, the playoffs have been set in the last six or seven years. It's kind of the same four to six teams that are playing each and every year. But it's, it's, the, um, it's the constant chaos that's behind the scenes that, that's kind of taboo for most, for most uh, uh, advertisers. And Dr. Pepper is not afraid to just kind of shine the light inside the, the dark closet and say, hey, this is kind of what's coming up, and we're just going to have fun with it. Uh, because even though it might drive you crazy that, you know, suddenly these kids are now running the show, whereas it was back in the 80s and the 90s, the coaches ran the show. 
I mean, there would be no way at all that a, a kid could come in and dictate what he was going to do, how he was going to do it, what he was going to say, whether he's going, whether he was going to play. The you know all of the stuff that's happening now. Most of the coaches got it's it's not the past. Get get somebody. I'd rather have I'd rather have eighty players that are coachable than have fifty players that are coachable and you know twenty five guys that I got to babysit. You know I got to ask. You know can you please show up today? Can you please go into the <laughs> weight room? Can you please you know? And you know it's just changed a little bit. Yeah. So. I like the fact that Dr. Pepper is not afraid to tackle the weird issues. But what I really like about it is they kind of they kind of go into this this world where um, it feels like a throwback uh, to all the classics that we grew up with. You know, those whether it be you know the Gilligan's Island or Green Acres or you know, uh, you know, leave it to Beaver or whatever. But you got these little weird, you know, family units that, on the surface, you know, those are your fans. But when you really get to know, know them, they're just like all the other people, um, you know, in our society. They're just weird. But <laughs> on college game day, we're all about the same thing. Yeah, gotcha. But away from college, it's weird people, yeah. and it's okay to be weird. Hey, hey, Boz, it's been a, been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us today. And, again, I feel like I know you because Dave has told me so many fun stories about your guys' time together and, and uh, love the Dr. Pepper campaign. I think it's it's fantastic. And and uh, hopefully we get a chance to talk to you again down the road. Thanks so much for, for the time. Anytime, guys, anytime. Thanks, Brian. Talk to you soon. Number nine, too. All right, buddy. God bless you. There you go. The Boz, Brian Bosworth, spending some time with us. Really cool to talk to him. If you missed any of that or you joined us in the middle of that, that conversation will be on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Coming up, Marco Gonzalez got the start in Arizona this afternoon. We'll take a look at what's in store for him this season. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our thanks to Brian Bosworth, the boss who joined us in the previous segment. A very, very cool conversation. If you guys missed that, I would I would really, really recommend checking that out on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. It took a little more serious turn than we anticipated, but, you know, that's it. I give him credit. He's very introspective, very honest and genuine yeah. in his answers and not, not really expecting that or even trying to lead him down that road, so to speak. But that's where he went, and I, I think it was it's it's pretty compelling to listen to. I mean, he's obviously a, a grown man. These You guys were kids playing, you know. He, yeah. was, he was a college kid with all this spotlight and attention and living that life. And, you know, just hearing him sort of reflect now is, I think, really, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a little more on – the dark side than I anticipated. And that's, you know, I just wanted to, I didn't want to bring that kind of stuff up or anything, but he did. So, um, that's, that's cool. It was, uh, it was interesting hearing all that. And I think he's a really smart guy. And so, you know, it was very well thought out and yeah, it was, uh, that, that was a terrible year. It was a really bad year for me too. My, my rookie year. So get, you're one year ahead of him, right? You were one year in the league and then no, 
Oh, you- so I was drafted in April, and oh. then I'm supposed to replace Keith Butler and be the next guy, second rounder. And then they had the the supplemental draft. Oh, okay. I thought and, you were there for a year, and then he came in. Yeah. So, and it was the day of my graduation. I found out about it, which is supposed to be a joyful celebration. And here I am. I'm, you know. I'm sitting on the throne in the morning <laughs> reading the sports page, and it says, you know, Seahawks get Bosworth. You're you like, know. great. Yeah, so then uh, I go to camp, and then they make him my roommate. And I'm like, this is particularly cruel. <laughs> and But they're like, oh, no, you guys are getting – sure enough, we got along great. And then, you know, he ended up playing his rookie year and played – Played really well for a rookie. Yeah, I think he had like four sacks that year and yeah. maybe a couple forced fumble. But yeah, heck of a rookie year. Yeah, and so like three months later or you know, two months into the season or whenever the trade deadline is, I go to Chuck Knox and like he said, Chuck Knox was not, uh, he did not suffer fools gladly. Uh, I had to go up into his office. My agent told me to do this and ask for a trade. So when I get traded, uh, I do get traded to San Francisco when I get to the Bay Area, the the headline of I think it was called the Green Sheet. They had like a green sports page, and it says in the front front of the sports page, it says Forty ers get Dave Wyman because you know I was at Stanford and everything. And in the Seattle paper, it was like a little blurb at the very back of the <laughs> you know because I hadn't done anything here. Yeah. So, but you know that was all because of hey look you're going long term with Brian Bosworth and I'm you know I want to play and. We had a pro bowler, Fred Young, at uh, the other spot. And so I did get traded. I failed the physical, came back. Uh, so, And then, you know, I, I mentioned my girl I was engaged to. We we broke up. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, it was a, it was a rough year. I also yeah. had shoulder surgery. You know, I had a lot of stuff going on. And, uh, you know, but he was really a good a good teammate to me. And yeah. I was protective of him actually because a lot of the offensive linemen they didn't they didn't like him. And then he wrote a book, and I guess he said something about how the offensive linemen dress, just trying to be funny, just yeah. being a smartass. And they didn't like that. And I remember they came over. One guy came over one time and shoved a chair into him. And said, "Don't you talk about me and my family or something like that?" And he just like ignored him. Mm. And yeah, so I mean, it was it was rough for him, but he was always. Just a good dude. He really yeah. was. He's a good good roommate, good teammate, good neighbor, all that stuff. Good friend. Well, check out the conversation if you guys missed it. Again, it'll be available on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Quickly, before we get to break, the Mariners uh, play a game today. Marco looked good. Three and two-thirds innings pitched. He gave up three hits, no runs, three strikeouts. Uh, Julio with a, a hit. Jared Kelnick with another hit, now hitting three fifty-seven. Julio's hitting three eighty-five, by the way, wow. which is... I get it. It's spring. I'll just continue to throw out that qualifier, but it's still great to see. The one negative that we we saw today, Dave, is that Evan White was scratched from the lineup due to yes. what they're calling, quote, general soreness. Now, my hope is that they're just babying him, that they're like, listen, there's been we've gone down the, the rabbit hole with this guy. Every injury you could think of just trying to keep him healthy. So if there's anything that's not 100 percent, we don't need this is spring. There's no urgency to any of this. Let's. That's what I'm hoping, that that's how they're approaching it. They're being hyper-protective, I hope. <laughs> yeah, that bothered me, too. And, you know, we go through kind of the same thing like we used to talk about Rashad Penny. Like, yeah. why is he scratched? And, you know, you just you worry about it. I mean, look, Evan White, 
if you're you know that kind of a player, you you have a level of toughness and desire and want to get on the field. But you know maybe it's the training staff just saying, hey, we're going to hold you back. Yeah, uh, yeah. But that that really did bother me. Um, and you know, like you said, it's just spring. But again. Yeah, Julio is is batting three eighty five. He had a a two out single today that drove in an RBI. Um, you don't really you know count that, but the Kelnick one I do. Yeah, I, I'm like yep. I put a lot of stock into that because he just needs a win, like yep. a sustained period of time where this is a win. And he said this the other day that he won every pitch at the plate, uh, and you know that I just love hearing that. Yeah, I love hearing that from him that he's having. Any kind of success sustained for, you know, what is it now, five, six games in, you know, eight games actually. But, uh, yeah, that's that's good news right there. I'll take that all day. Yeah, I think there's more meaning attached to his success than, right. than most other people. And, and, again, hopefully it's just hyper, hyper uh, protectiveness from the Mariners training staff with, with Evan White. I'm right. really, really rooting for that guy. So, uh, But most of all, just pretty pretty good day for the Mariners and guys we're, we're keying in on. Meanwhile, Logan Gilbert is introducing a new pitch in Peoria. We're going to hear about that when we sweep the dial. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on 710. Scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day. Sweeping the dial. Every afternoon at 445 with Wyman and Bob. Scott Service weighed in on a new pitch that Logan Gilbert has been working on this season. You know, as Logan always does, he's always, you know, focused on picking up one or two things, making them a bit better. Last year, he was trying to pick up the tempo in his, his delivery um, and his times of the play and all that other stuff, which he was able to do uh, much better, I think. Uh, focus is kind of come up with a, a changeup or a split, whatever that could be a little bit more uh, usable for him. What I've seen in bullpens has been outstanding, and it, it seems of all the guys that have played around with it, this might be the most advanced or farthest down the road. Again, I don't want him to go out there and throw 20 of them in the game. It should be like a 10 to 12, 15 percent pitch. It could help him. It's lefty. What I like, Dave, is that you've got a bunch of guys who are, whether we're talking about Jared Kelnick and he's always tinkering or trying to find that perfect thing or Logan Gilbert working on a new pitch or all the stuff in his bag that we'll hear about in a bit. Those are all guys. Look how devoted they are to their craft and how much they're tinkering to try to just get that much better. I mean, these these are this is the polar opposite of Kyler Murray. Right, that's yeah. a guy who, in his contract, they had to write in there that you're going to study, that you're going to put in what would be just the basic required effort just to exist as a pro. Whereas I, I just love that these guys aren't. Hey, I made it. I'm a big leaguer, and I know that it's not. It's probably the majority of players are that way, but not all of them are. Some will coast a bit, and I just love that guys that have had success like Logan Gilbert or those that are searching for it like Kelnick. You, if they don't find it, if they don't succeed, you can never look at them and say, "Well, they didn't have the heart. They didn't have the effort. They didn't have the drive." Is it, it? That's that's the one thing they all show here. Yeah, I think, and we're going to hear from him later about his bag of tricks. But yeah, he just goes above and beyond. What, did I see somewhere it was called the Ghost Forkball? Is that I, where I, I, think I saw that's what that? I said. I th- I, somebody labeled the clip that way, and I'm like, wow, that pitch sounds awesome. <laughs> I want to see the what a Ghost, ghost Forkball. Fork I guess that means it disappears. 
Sweeping the dial. John Schneider explained the durability and orthopedic grades they give out to prospects at the Combine. Definitely huge. You know, we, um, we'll have a new orthopedic score and then we'll have a durability score as well. I say score. You know, there's, there's, there's psychological grades. There's, there's uh, you know, football character grades, personal character grades. And also, you know, uh, we'll have an orthopedic grade. And like I said, we'll have the durability grade. We ended up implementing a, a durability grade a couple years, maybe like 2012. You know, we had drafted a couple guys that, that had never missed games, and so they had a really had a really nice orthopedic grade. But then um, when they came into pros, they missed they would they were missing you know a fairly significant amount of time. So we 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 ended up saying, okay, well that's great, you can have a great orthopedic grade, but you also have to have durability grade, and that's where a lot of our, our analytics guys come in and help us as well in sports science. I guess the difference is there is that durability. I mean, is that. To me, I think that's a minor injury that didn't need surgery, that he missed games because, you know, not because he had surgery. Like, I had a bad orthopedic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, grade, but, and actually... Because of the history. Yeah, but my, my durability actually was okay. I mean, I played in almost every game uh, when I was in college, but I came in with a dislocated knee, screwed up finger, shoulder surgery... Uh, other things. So. Was there anything like this going on when you? I'm wondering, is this unique to the Seahawks? I'm sure every team has their own method. Here's how we're going to evaluate players, and they come up with their own system. Obviously, it's not universal, but yeah. you feel like this is sort of common. Everybody, it's like it's like terminology for play calls. Everybody's got this play call. Yeah. They just call it something different. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure about that because I'd never heard of it. I just thought you did your medical examination, and you know, you you look at how many games he misses because of it, things like that. So you know, I wonder if that's the the difference between yeah, the guy had surgery, or yeah, the guy missed games, or I'm sorry, yeah, you had surgery and you missed games and this is one where you didn't have surgery but you missed games because if it's like a tweaked hamstring or something like that but and that also indicates sort of your toughness right to play through you have that's the thing i always heard in the nfl and it's true you have to be able to play hurt not injured but hurt Sweeping the dial. Logan Gilbert gave Brock and Salk an interesting tour of his equipment bag. Everything has a different purpose. Um, some is shoulder strengthening, forearm activation. This is uh, stability, the water ball here. Um, go through the delivery, do some stability stuff, and learn to load correctly. Um, just a few movements like that. I love it. I love that his his the bag has gotten bigger. It's It's fuller. Uh, he's got more devices and, and, you know, whatever in there. And maybe he's going to get rid of some and bring in new ones. Like we were talking about before, I love that he's just always looking for the next thing to give me an advantage. The next thing yeah. to make me better. What is goofy and funny as we may think it is that he's got this giant bag of toys. And that's awesome. I love that. That it's just how do I gain an edge? How do I get that much better? And I'm wondering also, Dave, if he's going to get to a point where he's all right, I've talked about my bag with stuff. Enough yeah. of that. Like, if he's going to get sick of talking about it. I know. I was like, mad at Brock and Salk for coming <laughs> talking to him. I'm like, well, that means we can't talk to him about it. But no, it, yeah, it's a, it's very cool. We're starting to see his personality come out more and more. We hear he's kind Walter. of kind of a smart ass, and he can he's got some funny things to say. And just got married, had Cal and yeah. his. You know, we heard that story about him and Cal being sort of the odd couple when they were in college. Mm-hmm. And, 
And remember, there, I think it was one of the YouTube whatever broadcasts where we had to couldn't watch it on normal TV. Yeah, uh, those are great. Yeah, uh, it, there was there was one where they interviewed him. and Everybody was pouring seeds on him and everything. And <laughs> oh so, yeah, they were flicking things at him. You yeah. see, keep looking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, obviously he's he's well liked and everything, but really a good pitcher. And I, I just I'm really excited to see where he can go with. Uh, can't wait to see the ghost fork ball. <laughs> we'll, we'll ask about the ghost fork ball. We'll ask about all this stuff. Our Mariners insider, Shannon Dreher, is going to join us next live from spring training. That is coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.